Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. A great many people were added to the Lord. Last time we saw Barnabas was back when he came and encouraged Saul of Tarsus and got Saul of Tarsus connected with the apostles there in Jerusalem. He was the one that was called the son of encouragement by the apostles. Barnabas was first introduced to us way back in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. During that time, as Luke introduces him, Luke tells us that he was of the country of Cyprus himself. The church needs more people that build up others rather than tear them down. As Pastor David continues his teaching series through the book of Acts, he'll be challenging you to be a Barnabas in the lives of others. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He wasn't known for tearing people down and harshly rebuking them. There's a time for rebuke and exhortation, but there's also a time for encouragement, and sadly, people tend to want to rebuke more than build up other people. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 11 as he continues his message, Difficult Times for Kingdom Purposes. Outside, it looked absolutely beautiful, but behind the scenes, the filth and the depravity of man was on open display. It was here in Antioch also where you'd find the Temple of Apollo, and the Temple of Apollo was located in a little nature reserve that was dedicated to the goddess Daphne, where, again, both women and men would go, and they'd give way to all the temptations of wealth and pleasure, not to mention the allure of these cults and cults of uh, Artemis and Apollo, and again, very, very fleshly oriented, such vileness. Another writer defines Antioch as a vile city with gross immorality and ritual prostitution as a part of its temple worship. Guys, I wanted to bring your attention to these three cities. These three, well, areas, one area, Phoenicia, an island, Cyprus, and now the city, Antioch. These are areas that, that Luke tells us that these persecuted Christians from Jerusalem, they dispersed to, and there was many in that area. I want you to understand the, the spiritual environment that these Christians were now being brought to, not because they wanted to go, but because of the greatness of the persecution back home. They had to go someplace. And they ended up in what you and I would call today hard soil, tough ground. But now, into these spiritual badlands, as hard, as vile as they were, into these lands comes the church. Jewish Christians fleeing persecution, but Luke is quick to let us know. 
They came for more of a purpose than just fleeing persecution. Luke tells us that they actually came and they were very faithful in preaching the word. But for them, in the midst of their own prejudice, we read that they're limited in their evangelistic efforts to the Jews only and to no one else. You're not like me. I'm not going to share the gospel with you. Oh, you're not like me either. I'm going to speak only to the people that are like me. I want to share the life-giving, eternal power of Jesus Christ. Oh, not with you, because you're different, but with you. You see that ingrown, uh, that prejudice that was there, even in the early believers. It was the idea, we're, we're Jews. We've come to know Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah of Israel. And we're going to go and we're going to spread that news, but just to other Jews. But you know what? God's plan was much bigger. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God's plan is always bigger. I don't care how big our plans are. God, our God, isn't limited to prejudice. He's not limited to to ignorance of, of religious pride. Our God is a much bigger, much greater God. Luke makes it clear for us that some of those, though, that some of those that went here, they were actually from the island of Cyprus and from Cyrene. And there in, in verse 20, he says, who, when they came to Antioch, they didn't just go to the Jews. Luke tells us, no, they, they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now, uh, first of all, you need to understand that the word Hellenist, up until this point, when we've spoken of, and when Luke writes and refers to Hellenist, it was Jews who had, in, in essence, adopted the Greek culture into their life. But there's a change here, and we find it within the context of all of what he's writing. Here, in chapter 11, the second half of chapter 11, uh, uh, the Hellenist actually designates Greek-speaking population of Antioch, and in essence, the Gentiles in general. Not the Jews who had gone with the Greek culture, but now we're talking about Gentiles in general. And we see that in the context of what happens here. Again, I believe that, that what we see here is that possibly we find some who were of the group of the Jewish Christians that went up to Antioch I believe, personally, when I look at this, it seems so very clear that perhaps these Jewish Christians were actually Gentiles first. And they proselyted, they they became Jews. And then when they heard the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they became Christians. They weren't just Jewish Christians. They were Jewish Christians who very possibly had been Gentile prior to that. To them, the contact with these other Gentiles, that wouldn't have been as odious as it would have been for someone who was raised up as a Jew and learned from the earliest of age, oh, you don't go around people like that. You don't deal with people like that. These guys were Gentiles before they became Jews, before they became Christians. For them, there would have been a greater understanding that God can and does work and move in the lives of all people, of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation. So for them, 
It was natural to go. It was natural for them to go and share the love of Jesus, yes, even with the Gentiles there in Antioch. And then, wouldn't you know it, God moves. In their obedience, God moves. And it says, Luke tells us here, that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number, a great number of these Gentiles, believed and turned to the Lord. And that's the amazing, that's the powerful testimony of God's worldwide plan of evangelism. He does not limit the hope of the gospel to anyone, but it is open to all people, even as the book of Revelation tells us, to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. I believe those that were the Gentile converts to Judaism, they had already seen, they had already experienced the love, that redemption of God that cuts through all of the barriers, cuts across every, every wall that might be there, all the religion and all the prejudice. They've seen it. They were Gentiles before. They became Jews, accepted even within the Jewish community. Then they became believers, and they wanted to be able to share the hope that they had with other Gentiles at that point in time. When as a Jew, they discovered the truth of Jesus, they were then their conversion became complete. Interesting thing is we don't know the names of these guys. We don't know their names at all. You know, every once in a while, Luke will put in names of people. But no, there there were others who were from the island of Cyprus and Cyrene. Oh yeah, they had also come. And they're the ones who began speaking with the Hellenists, or I believe the Gentiles. Don't you love it when you see God's plan coming together? When he starts working in ways that we can't even begin to imagine today, He's working his will, his purposes out. Let's move on, verse 22. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. What's going on in Antioch? Man, send Barnabas up there to find out. And when he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Last time we saw Barnabas was back when he came and encouraged Saul of Tarsus and got Saul of Tarsus connected with the apostles there in Jerusalem. He was the one that was called the son of encouragement by the apostles. Barnabas was first introduced to us way back in chapter four of the book of Acts. During that time, as Luke introduces him, Luke tells us that he was of the country of Cyprus himself. So here in chapter 11, Luke adds to that description. He's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And he begins to minister there in Antioch to a great many people who were added to the Lord. God doing something powerful in a very, very pagan city. None of this would have happened though, guys. None of this would have happened if the Jewish Christians of Jerusalem would have been able to be comfortable in Jerusalem. If it remained comfortable and at ease, they would have never gone there. You know what, every once in a while we get kind of in the groove in our Christian walk. We feel like everything's working nice, everything's working smooth. And don't we want it to stay that way, amen? I mean, let's just face it, man. I don't want to go through hard, I, I don't volunteer for any of the hard things, and I'm sure that none of you do either. But you know what? It's through the hard things, it's through the press, it's through being stretched that God is really glorified and we see his hand working in our lives much more than our own. God is using persecution here to shake things up, to get believers to do 
what he had commanded them to do. Remember when he was speaking to the disciples? You shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem. Oh, but also throughout all of Judea. Oh, and by the way, and into Samaria. Oh, yes, and also to the uttermost parts of the world. But I was comfortable in Jerusalem, Lord. And that's where my family was. That's where my home was. Everything was going fine for me. And then the persecution came. Just like a mother eagle that makes the nest uncomfortable for that baby eagle until finally they're out of the nest. That's a life lesson for all you parents, by the way. Uh, God did the same way. God did the same way with the disciples there in Jerusalem. Pushed them out in order that they would accomplish his will. Barnabas uh, realized that uh, as the church was growing, it was much more than he could handle. So look down in verse 25. Barnabas departed to Tarsus to seek after Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the people, or with the church, and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Well, the whole conversion process of Paul, we realize that by this time, he's only about eight years in the Lord, but his growth in the Lord has skyrocketed. He is a powerful man in the Lord. At this point in time, he was living up in the area of Syria and Cilicia. He had been preaching the gospel up there. Barnabas goes up to Tarsus to find him and to bring him back. And the word tells us that so for a whole year, they, that being Barnabas and Saul, they assembled with the church. They taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians there in Antioch. It was during that time of, of, of Barnabas and Saul that these non-believers began to mock these Christians. Remember, you're in, a, you're in a pagan society. They don't care whether you're a Christian, but they begin to mock you because you're not following the right gods. You're following this one God. They begin mocking them, making fun of them. They call them Cristiano or Christianos. And the direct meaning is you belong to the party of Christ or your patrons of Christ. Some have also translated it to mean, you're like little Christs. For those of you that know the connection, you're like a mini-me of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that is a, a wonderful thing to be told. But for them, you gotta understand, no, they were you're just a bunch of little Christs. They, they, they see that. And, and even if it is, you belong to the party of Christ, I love that too. Forget Republican, forget Democrat, forget liberal, forget independent. I am of the party of Christ, and oh, by the way, I vote. Okay? We see this going on here. We see and understand that this mocking. We we could even look a little bit later in Acts 26. Paul is standing before King Agrippa. And I've always looked at this as kind of an almost conversion with King Agrippa. But when you put it in the context of, again, the, the Roman culture against Christianity, when Agrippa says to Paul, after Paul has laid out the gospel and his own testimony, Agrippa turns to Paul and he says, you almost persuade me to become A little Christ? Can you imagine in a mocking way that means? I can almost hear, you think you're going to turn me into one of these mini-me's of Jesus? Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. Well, move on. That's why today, I think you and I, we can take the name of Christian very proudly. 
But at the same time, do you realize that there are parts of the world that to say that you are a Christian is actually very offensive to them because of the acts of the quote-unquote church in years gone by? You go to many places in the Middle East, to say you're a Christian, suddenly there is a solid wall. But to say you are a follower of Jesus, that wall isn't there as hard. It actually gives you the opportunity to explain a little bit more. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Christ. So whether you identify as a Christian or a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, the Word tells us, Jesus tells us on the Sermon of the Mountain, chapter 5, He says, so let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't care what they call me, but I want them to see Jesus in me. I want them to see Jesus in me and how I respond to situations of life, how I respond to their mocking attacks, how I respond to the temptations of the world, that when they see me, when they see us, they'll see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Let's finish up, verses 27 through 30. In those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the hands, or sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, again, Agabus, we're going to see more about him a little bit later in chapter 21. But for right now, we see a man, we don't know anything about him, very little, if anything, other than his name and the fact that God had given him, through the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gift of prophecy. And God reveals to Agabus, through the Holy Spirit, that there's going to be this famine throughout the world. And we find in the following chapter that this famine actually hit, it, it actually hit the church and, and, and Jerusalem in particular, most hard. A famine coming in. Man, first we have persecution, Lord. Isn't that enough? And now a famine is coming in. I don't understand, God, what you're doing in my life. God is once again shaking things up. Because you know what? He's going to allow that famine to become the thing that pulls all of the churches together to assist the church in Jerusalem and Judea. That means all of these Gentile churches that are starting in these other lands, these other areas, we're going to see through through the mission work of the Apostle Paul that they began supporting the church in Jerusalem. And you remember the church in Jerusalem? You guys can't be Christians. You've got to become a Jew first. Guys, that doesn't change until like chapter 15. Jerusalem is still stating and declaring these things. You can't be real Christians. Even though they've had testimony of some of the apostles, they think, hey, wow, we see Samaritans that are coming to Christ. Well, okay, they're kind of half Jew, half Gentile. We, maybe we can stretch that. But now we're talking about Gentiles that are coming. No, that can't be. There was this great division there. But God is now going to use this famine where now these Gentiles who had, looked, who had been looked down upon, that had been rejected by the church in Jerusalem, now God is going to use those very ones to bless Jerusalem. What an amazing thing. 
What an amazing thing. The things that we look at and say, this is horrible. This is, this, this, this is a terrible situation. And yet God is using that very situation to glorify himself, but to also to bring the church together. God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Amen? We can look at troublesome times. We can look at times of spiritual and even physical attacks. We can look at seasons in our life where we're going through major stress situations, anxiety situations. We become stretched so far beyond our own comfort zones and our own capabilities. And yet at the same time, gang, God will and does use all of these things if we allow him. He uses all of these things to draw us closer to him so that our dependence is wholly and solely upon him, not in our abilities, not in our strength, not in our wisdom. Lord, I'm just yours. I'm just yours. To draw closer, to be more dependent upon him in order that we might be used by him more completely, to be more flexible, not encumbered by the things of this world, but with absolute dependence upon him for his provision, for his leading, for his empowerment through that infilling, that overflowing work of the Holy Spirit. Guys, whatever you're going through in life, whatever any of us, myself, my family included, you think God is ignorant of any of these things? You think, whoa, how'd that happen? I was, just, I was just working over here and now all of a sudden your life falls apart. No, that's not our God. God is aware of it all. Jake, why don't you and the team come on? The fact is, is God's love, God's care for us, even in the midst of the worst of things that could come into our lives. God says, keep your eyes on me. The very foundation verse that this ministry was started on back in 1998, back in the 1900s. Doesn't that sound like a long time? It comes from Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's where we need to be always, in every situation of our life. So easy to be caught looking at the circumstances that surround us. It's so easy to be caught looking at the, 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 the monster of anxiety and stress. So easy to be distracted by the cares and the concerns and the temptations and the draws of this world and even of our own flesh. But God says, look unto me. Look unto me. When did Peter begin to sink? When he got his eyes off the Lord Jesus and started looking at the waves. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Trust in the fact that our God is intimately aware of your pain, of your sufferings, of the situations that you're in. And perhaps it'll be through that very time of suffering as he brings us through that refiner's fire that he'll show us his glory and use us as a testimony of His mercy and grace. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open world. 
Thanks for joining Pastor David today as we study the book of Acts on the open word. Though our program has come to an end today, your time in God's word can continue. It could be beneficial to go back and study today's passage in Acts on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you'll find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. For directions and service times, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Now let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community and around the nation with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially needs prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts would be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Hey, thanks for praying, and thank you for being a loyal listener to The Open Word.